I think since uh, quarantine and all that happened, we've seen about 30 people follow the Lord in believers' baptism. God has just been blessing our church family, seeing people follow Christ and become a part of our church family, and we just thank Him and praise Him for all that He's done. And I hate to transition from all that to talk about government and politics, but that's what I'm about to do. And the reason for that is we're preaching through the book of Revelation. We're in the 13th chapter, and the 13th chapter is about government and politics. So uh, let, let me just say that, you know, in, in, in recent times, in, in our society, in our nation, we've heard more and more about socialism. And, and I don't bring this up today to, to be political, but I bring it up to say, you know, we really need to pay some attention to what's going on around us. We need to be wise about the times the days that we find ourselves living in. You can call it Marxism or neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism or call it critical theory. Whatever it is that you want to call it, you need to understand this, that there's an agenda behind it. And the agenda is to tear down, to tear down whatever structures that they deem are oppressive or whatever structures that they deem are preventing equality in our society and there are places in our society that no doubt are oppressive there's places in our society where equality should exist where it doesn't exist and as God's people we ought to be leading the way when it comes to places like that for example as God's people we ought to be leading the way in terms of equality opportunities equality of opportunities for people regardless of their skin color but this current push that we're seeing in our society right now is about far more than that. It's about far more than racial equality. In fact, this push that we see in our society right now sees a church like Grace Life, a church that's evangelical in nature, a church that believes in the authority and the infallibility of God's Word, a church that unashamedly teaches and preaches God's Word. This agenda that's in our world right now sees a pastor like me and people like you and a church like ours as part of the problem in society and not part of the solution. This Neo-Marxist worldview places evangelical churches that preach the truth of Scripture like our church does. It places us into the category of oppressors in society instead of people who are advocating for the oppressed. The reason that this agenda is placing us into the category of oppressors is because of things like this. We believe from God's Word that the office of pastor is reserved for qualified men, not women. We believe from God's word that men are called to be the spiritual leaders of their homes and of their families. We believe that God created male and female. We believe that the Bible teaches that sex is intended for a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage. And anything outside of that is sinful. And critical theory or cultural Marxism, neo-Marxism, whatever you want to call it, would say that that makes us, because we believe those things and hold those things and practice those things, that that places us in the category of oppressors. That makes us, they would say, oppressive to women. They would say that makes us oppressive to uh, the LGBTQ community or oppressive to the 
transgender community. And, and what this agenda wants to do is to tear down any person. We see this often, we call it the cancel culture now, this world that we're living in. This agenda wants to tear down any person or institution or ideas that they deem are oppressive. And this includes Bible-believing churches. We are in the crosshairs of this movement that is sweeping not just through our country but around the world. And right now, churches and individual followers of Jesus are facing the decision, am I going to bow to this cultural pressure or will I stand by God's grace faithfully for the truth of God's word? And you just need to know that if you choose to stand faithfully, and as we as a church, if we choose to stand faithfully to God's unchanging word, we're probably in for some difficult days in the days to come. Traditional Judeo-Christian values like ideas of personal freedom, traditional marriage, private ownership, those kind of ideals stand in the way of socialism, those kind of ideals stand in the way of communism, those kind of ideas stand in the way of a government like we see in Revelation chapter 13, a government that's going to be in place in this world where the emperor over the entire world is going to be this character that we met last week called the Antichrist. The ideas of Karl Marx, who co-wrote the Communist Manifesto, have found their way into mainstream America once again. And what the neo-Marxists want to do is by the method of divide and conquer, they want to destroy any and all systems that are built around ideals like freedom and liberty. And they want to instead replace it with socialism. And socialism always leads to communism. And they believe that with a government of their choosing, the government will ultimately be able to usher in this grand utopian society where all of our problems are solved, where we find the peace and the security that we've always longed for. In other words, for the people who hold to this agenda, government is their hope. Government is their God. When I was growing up as a kid in the 70s and 80s and 90s, it looked like communism had fallen apart. But the communists weren't finished and the Marxists weren't finished and they began to drive their agenda into our culture by infiltrating our media and Hollywood, entertainment, our schools, and even a lot of our churches. And one of the ways that they're bringing their agenda to bear, one of the ways that they're accomplishing this mission in our culture is they are creating deep divisions across our culture, deep divisions, many divisions in our society. Male versus female. You felt that tension in our society lately? Yes. Black versus white. Rich versus poor. Republican versus Democrat. LGBTQ, transgenders versus traditional families. Haves versus have-nots. Mask wearers versus non-mask wearers. Essential workers 
versus non-essential workers. The goal is to eventually get everybody into two categories. Oppressors and oppressed. And once we're all divided up and stirred up against each other, and we've got all this conflict and all this chaos and all this disunity and all this disorder, is any of this sounding familiar to you? Once we're all into that place, then the government comes swooping in to save the day. The government steps in to solve all the issues and all the problems and all the conflicts because society naturally doesn't want to live that way. And so we look for somebody to get us out of this. So the government's happy to do that for us. And then they'll be happy to manage all the details of our lives. See, Marxism doesn't want people to see God as their personal Savior. Marxism wants people to see the government as our collective Savior. This is why we've seen regimes like Stalin's annihilate millions and millions of Christians. Millions and millions of people. Six million Ukrainians starved to death under that kind of mentality. If you want a nation to be under the control of the government, then you can't have citizens that believe that that nation is under God. Ask our brothers and sisters in China today how that's working. And and I think that this is more than a political movement. I, I even think it's more like a religion. It's a religion that preaches mankind needs to be rescued. Mankind needs a savior. Mankind needs to be redeemed. And government can be all that to us. A government that has total authority and total power over the rights and the freedoms and the liberties of the governed. So our pastor doesn't normally talk about politics. Why is he all off into this today? I'm telling you this today because we need to be aware of what's happening in our world. We need to see what's going on. I think if we can see what's going on, you'll understand a little bit more. This is just one of the many reasons why I'm convinced we're living in the last days. We need to see this because I think if we can understand this, it'll help us have a greater sense of urgency for the days that we live in. That now more than ever, we need to be sharing the good news of the gospel. That there is one and only Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. I think we also need to understand the days that we're living in because it might help you begin to brace yourself because I believe as Christ's followers, if we remain faithful to Him and faithful to His Word, we're in for some bumpy days. And if you can understand all of this, then I think what we're going to have to learn out of Revelation chapter 13 today is going to seem like a lot closer reality than maybe other times that you've looked at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 today is painting a picture for us of this partnership between a totalitarian government and godless satanic religion. The result of that is the most fundamental areas of everybody's lives 
are going to be micromanaged by this totalitarian partnership of government and religion. And if you refuse to bow down to this system, if you refuse to obligate yourself to it, you're going to pay the price for that. If you refuse to bow your knee to the world's emperor, the Antichrist, then you're likely going to be executed. Revelation chapter 13 is a section of the book of Revelation where we're being introduced to some of the main characters that are on the world stage during a period of time of seven years called the Tribulation. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, chapter 12, we were introduced to the woman who represents Israel. She was pregnant with a child, a male child, who represents the Messiah. We were introduced to the great red dragon who wanted to kill that woman, who wanted to kill her son. That great red dragon is none other than Satan himself. Last week, we started in chapter 13, and a beast rose up out of the sea known as the Antichrist. We said last week of the Antichrist that he'll be a reflection of Satan in human flesh. We said of the Antichrist that he's going to be a representation of all the kingdoms of the earth. We said of the Antichrist last week that he'll be a recipient of Satan's power and prominence and position. We said that the Antichrist will deify Satan. He'll draw people to worship Satan. He'll denounce God's name in God's place, and God's people. He'll seek to destroy all Christians, and he's going to seek to dominate the world. Today in Revelation chapter 13, we're going to be introduced to a second beast. This beast doesn't come up out of the sea like the Antichrist did. He comes up out of the earth. This beast is going to be the hype man for the first beast. He'll be the hype man, the promoter for the Antichrist. While the Antichrist is focusing on political and, and, and military power, this second beast is going to be focusing on religious power. So you have this joining together of satanic political military power and satanic religious power into one satanic entity. This person, this beast will be the Antichrist's right-hand man. He'll be his publicist. He'll be his promoter. He'll be a religious individual. He'll be a spiritual person. He's known as the false prophet. And the false prophet is going to lead the whole world to bow down before the Antichrist. John Phillips, a biblical scholar from a couple of generations ago, he writes this about the false prophet. And I thought it was really interesting what he had to say. I thought if John Phillips was living in 2020, he would feel really affirmed about what he had to say many years ago. He said this, The dynamic appeal of the false prophet will lie in his skill in combining political expediency with religious passion. His arguments will be subtle, convincing, and appealing. His speech will be hypnotic, for he will be able to move the masses to tears or whip them into a frenzy. He will control the communication media of the world and will skillfully organize mass publicity to promote his ends. He will manage and massage his message with guile beyond words. He will mold world thought and shape human opinion like so much pottery for clay. You know, I believe we're seeing the pieces and parts of all of this beginning to set up and gel 
in the days that we're living in. Let me tell you three things today about this person in Revelation 13 that we know is the false prophet. The first is this, the, the false prophet is going to exhibit a deceptive personality. The false prophet is going to exhibit a deceptive personality. Verse 11 says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. This false prophet is going to be deceptive. Notice he's going to be seen like a lamb. But this lamb has a couple of horns. Horns always are symbolic of power and authority. So this person who has power and authority, he's going to be viewed as if he's a lamb, as if he's gentle, as if he's meek harmless, kind, but he will be anything but those things. This one is going to be fully, 100% satanic. This one is the epitome of a wolf in sheep's clothing. His deceptive personality will be subtle and gentle. You know, the Antichrist, he's described in ways that are almost terrifying and frightening, but the false prophet, he's described with words that are much softer and more gentle. The Antichrist is described as a lion, as a leopard, as a bear. But the false prophet, he's described as a, a lamb. The false prophet's not coming into the world with destruction. He's coming into the world with deception, posing. Posing like a lamb. But when he speaks, John says, he sounds like a dragon. You think he's good and gentle, but when he opens his mouth, you hear the satanic message that pours from his lips. Like some of the people in our world today, they use the same vocabulary that we as Christians use, but they use a totally different dictionary. They define words like gospel and redemption and forgiveness totally differently than the Bible defines those words. This false prophet is going to seem like a prophet right out of heaven. But that couldn't be further from the truth. He's a prophet right out of the pit of hell. This false prophet is going to exhibit a deceptive personality. He's going to entice with demonic power. Verse 12 says it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. He's enticing the world now with demonic power. By what authority does it function? Does it operate? The Antichrist operates with the power of Satan. The false prophet operates with that same power. It comes from Satan. Verse 12 goes on and says, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. This is Satan's goal and objective to cause the world to worship himself, to worship the Antichrist. So what the false prophet does, his role is to glorify the Antichrist. The false prophet's role is to get people to worship the Antichrist. Do you see what Satan's doing here? He's imitating the Holy Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now we have an unholy trinity of Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. You might call him the anti-spirit. The false prophet does the very same thing for the Antichrist that the Holy Spirit does for Christ. 
The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads people to worship Jesus. And the false prophet is going to take on that same role toward the Antichrist. To draw people to worship the Antichrist. The false prophet operates with the same power that the Antichrist operates with. Just like the Holy Spirit operates with the same power that Jesus operates with. His purpose is to make much of the Antichrist, just as the Spirit of God makes much of the Son of God. And just like the Holy Spirit and Jesus use the power of God, the false prophet's going to use the power of Satan to perform signs. Verse 13 says it performs great signs. What's he doing? He's using demonic power to entice people to worship the Antichrist, and by virtue then to worship Satan. Notice the demonic power he displays. 13 says, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Now, that's not the first time that Satan's rained down fire out of heaven onto earth. He did the very same thing in Job chapter 1. He rained down fire on Job's servants and on Job's sheep. So this false prophet is going to exhibit a deceptive personality. Number two, he's going to entice with demonic power. And number three, the false prophet's going to enforce dictatorial policies. He's going to enforce dictatorial policies. Verse 14 says, And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. It deceives those. It's not going to be hard to deceive those who dwell on the earth. By this time, they're going to be desperate for a leader. They're going to be desperate For somebody that claims to have the answers. By this time, they've been devastated by the judgments of God. By this time, they've been devastated by demons that God has allowed to run freely upon the earth. And here's this political leader. And here's this religious leader. And they're coming together as this powerful satanic union and the world has never seen two people like these two people they've never heard people speak like this and act like this and they've never seen power like this and so the world gladly gets behind them and follows their leadership but the world's being deceived verse 14 goes on and says telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived and it And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. The false prophet begins to enforce dictatorial policies and the first policy that he begins to enforce is related to worship. Begins to dictate who you worship and how you worship. They're told that you must make this image of the beast. We talked about this last week. The people will be led to believe that this beast or what he represents had died and has now been resurrected. And they make this image of this beast. And many scholars believe this image will be placed in the temple in Jerusalem. And this image that they make is going to be filled with demonic power. This image is going to be able to speak and the people are going to worship this image. They're going to worship the Antichrist that it represents and ultimately worshiping Satan who stands behind all of this. But those who are unwilling to bow their knee and worship this unholy trinity, they'll be marked out. 
for persecution. Ultimately, they'll be marked out for execution. The false prophet will be enforcing his dictatorial policies. He's going to dictate religion. But not only is he going to dictate religion, he's going to enforce dictatorial economic policies. Verse 16 says, Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. As a way to show your loyalty to this world system, as a way to show your loyalty to this world's government and this world's religion, you will be willing to take a mark, some type of mark. We're not sure what that might be. It'll be on your forehead or it'll be on your right hand. It'll be a sign of ownership. It'll be a way that you're showing this world's religion and world's government that I'm no longer my own. I'm no longer this particular nationality. I'm no longer this particular ethnicity. I'm no longer part of this political party. But now I belong to this world. I belong to the emperor of this world. I belong to the religious leader of this world. I belong to the unholy trinity of Satan, Antichrist, and false prophet. And if you refuse to take that identifying mark, you'll be seen as a troublemaker. You'll be seen as a traitor. You'll be ostracized. You'll be cut off from society. You won't be allowed to buy anything. You won't be allowed to sell anything unless you have that mark. Can you see the sign on the storefronts that says no entry without a mark? All you got to do right now is go scratch out the S and put in an R. You won't be able to have any kinds of transactions. I don't know what this mark might be. Some people think it'll be a chip. I don't know. That makes good sense to me, but I don't know that's what it'll be. For the last three or four years, there's companies that have been microchipping their employees. The Detroit Lions this week, I heard, their players will be wearing headbands or wristbands, forehead or right hand, with a microchip in that so they can track their players and try to prevent a COVID outbreak so that they can play their football season. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be. Maybe it is a way to have all your information, your medical information, your personal information, your financial information. It'll be marketed as the safe way to shop. No identity theft. No more cash. No more coins. That sound familiar? None of that. It's going to identify you as part of the world system. But if you don't Become a part of that world system and you don't take that mark. Eventually you're going to starve and eventually your family's going to starve. If you've seen people getting angry, I've seen some of these video clips of people getting angry when somebody without a mask walks into a grocery store. You wait till this day comes. 
and somebody walks into a grocery store without the mark. There's not going to be any place for a person in this society who refuses to bow down to this totalitarian government and religion. The false prophet's going to enforce dictatorial policies. He's going to tell you who to worship, how to worship. He's going to enforce economic policies. Every area of people's lives are going to be micromanaged by this satanic leadership. The totalitarian governments of our past, of our history, they're just a faint glimmer of what life's going to be like under this totalitarian regime, under this satanic rule. The promise will be, this is the path, people. This is the path to the utopian society we've always dreamed of. We have a leader now. We have a government that's rescued us. This is the path to safety. This is the path to security. This is the path to liberty and freedom and equality for all. But it's the same lie that the serpent spoke in the Garden of Eden so long ago. There will be no freedom. There will be no liberty. There will only be more bondage and more slavery. And why would we be surprised? He comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but he comes as an angel of light. Verse 17 says that the mark you take will either be the name of the beast or the number of his name. Verse 18 expounds on that. Verse 18 says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man, and his number is 666. There's been all kinds of speculation, as long as I can remember, about who this person's going to be. People have their ways of giving a, giving a numerical value to letters of the alphabet and adding up numbers of a person's name and coming to 666. And they've added up different politicians and world leaders throughout the years. Probably some of us could add up our names and figure out that our names might add up to 666. Look, the reality is I'm not sure that right now we can figure out who this person is. I don't know that this is going to be something that we can fully understand until you might be in that moment when this is unfolding before your eyes. I hope that you're not there when this is happening. But we do know this. The Bible says that it's the number of a man. The number of God is seven. The number of man is six. Man was created on the sixth day. Six never makes it to seven. Six always falls short of seven. Man, all of us, have fallen short of the glory of God. The best we can do is six. We all fall short of seven. God's holy. Man is not. In fact, God is holy, holy, holy. He is seven, seven. Seven. Man is unholy, unholy, unholy. Six, six, six. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are holy, holy, holy. Seven, seven, seven. Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet are unholy, unholy, unholy. Six, six, six. Maybe it's six, six, six to remind us 
that man can never take God's place. Religion can't. Government can't. Maybe 666 reminds us that there's going to be an unholy trinity that tries to take the place of God but will not be able to do it. Listen, I just believe all this has taken shape. It is. There's really no question about that. First century Christians believed it was taking shape, and they were right. It was taking shape. It's been taking shape for 2,000 years. We're just way closer to it now than we were 2,000 years ago. The world religion of the false prophet is emerging. True followers of Jesus and those who truly hold to his unchanging word are being pushed further to the edges, to the margins of society. The world is setting up to a place where the world would gladly all come together if somebody promised to solve all of our problems. The one world religion will say what people want to hear. The Bible tells us that in the last days, people just want their ears tickled. They don't want to hear the truth. This one world religion is going to be deceiving with lies and deception, and we're seeing all this come together, which tells me this, now is the time. Now is the time for us to commit ourselves by God's grace that we're going to stand on the truth of God's word. That no matter how hard the pressure is in the world that we live in, no matter how quickly the stream may flow against us, that by God's grace we want to stand uncompromisingly on the truth, the unchanging truth of the authoritative, inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. That it will be the authority over our lives and our family and our church. We're saying all this because we need to know now is the time, Grace Life, that we need to be boldly sharing the hope that we have in Jesus. People need to hear the message of God's word that yes, we all fall short, but God loved the world and he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Jesus came into the world to reconcile us to God. We don't have to go out unholy, unholy, unholy. We can go out holy, 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 reconciled to a holy God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now's the time to be sharing the good news. That Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to the Father except through Him. Listen, Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. Now is the time. Listen, if now's not harvest time in this world, I don't know when it's going to be. We've got a message to proclaim that sinners like me and you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God, we bow our hearts before you today. Aware in part of how this world is moving toward what you have revealed in your word already, it's going to move to. And just as sure as we see that happening, Lord, we know that you have made a way of salvation through your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room or anybody in any room that may be worshiping with us today, that's never put their faith in Christ, that today would be for them the day of salvation. 
that right now they would call on the name of Jesus to be saved. God, we're grateful today that you loved us even when we were sinners and you demonstrated that love by sending Christ to die in our place. God, I pray that today we would cling to him and to him alone for our salvation. For our salvation from the penalty of sin, but also our salvation from sin's power. I know that there's folks that are weary. They've been trying to fix themselves. and We can't. But we can come to Jesus today and find victory for our lives. It will not be by works, but it will be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Holy Spirit, would you lift Jesus high now before us, that he alone would sit on the throne of our lives. For your glory, God, for our joy, in Jesus' name. Let's stand, church. Let's worship the Lord. Let's respond to his word. You're welcome to come and pray if you'd like to do that, to stand where you are and worship.